Transforming care through genomic medicine, personalized therapeutics, health services and outcomes research, and innovations in healthcare delivery. We're Children's Mercy Kansas City, presenting our audio interview series, Transformational Pediatrics, with host Dr. Michael Smith. Today our topic is Chiari Malformations, What to Know and When to Worry. My guest is Dr. Paul Grab. He's the Section Chief of Neurosurgery at Children's Mercy, Kansas City. Dr. Grab, welcome to the show. Thank you. So why don't we do this first um, for a lot of the general practitioners out there, family, uh, family doctors, who maybe don't uh, always see Chiari Malformations. Why don't you first run through... You know, what are the different types again, and what are some of the common presentations uh, that children have with Chiari malformations? Okay, well, first, just to define what a Chiari malformation is, you know, just the, the name itself, I think, um, makes parents anxious and, and physicians anxious when they hear the word malformation. And what I try to um, imply is that it's not necessarily that the brain or a part of the brain is malformed in some way. Um, but the way to think of it is that the container for that part of the brain, the cerebellum and the brain stem that we refer to as the posterior fossa, you can think of it as the, the back bottom part of your skull, um, for some reason didn't grow large enough to accommodate the growth of the brain at that time. And so the brain itself just continues to grow. Uh, the cerebellum grows very rapidly early uh, in the uh, in infancy. Um, and it just seeks out wherever there's room. And so if the bone itself has not grown large enough, then it, then it just continues to grow through the hole in the base of the skull called the frame and magnum down into the spinal canal. And in essence, when that, that brain grows through that uh, hole down into the, the spinal canal, that is what is then deemed a Chiari malformation. Now, there can be, there can be true malformations of the the bone, the skull base itself, that contribute to not there not being enough room, but not always, um, and and then this this leads again to the to the same problem um, of there just not being enough room for the for the brain there. Um, we do categorize them into different types. Um, certainly, the most common type that we see is a type one, uh, and that is where the cerebellar tonsils, which again are a part of the the cerebellum uh, are below the, the frame and magnum. People argue on a definition. Most people will say that they have to be at least three millimeters. Some people say they have to be at least five millimeters down to quote unquote be a Chiari malformation uh, type one. Um, those that we deem type two are, uh, for the sake of argument, always associated with children with myelomeningocele. That's a the sort of most, most significant type of spina bifida, and so that's sort of its own little category um, on its own. Uh, and then we get fancy and have type zeros and type one and a halfs, and, and all, that, all that does is, is confuse parents and confuse other physicians. And so I'll, I'll leave those definitions to, for argument amongst pediatric neurosurgeons <laughs> at that point. <laughs> and how common are the Chiari malformations? Well, you know, now with really the um, almost... Um, you know, uh, unrestricted use of MRI for a child that, you know, sneezes two times in a row. Um, it, it seems as though everyone gets an MRI at some point. And so they are quite common uh, in the population. So, 
So the incidence is is going to be um, in the low single digits percentage wise. Now, the problem is is that just because you quote unquote have a Chiari malformation doesn't mean that you have a problem or are going to develop a problem. Uh, so commonly. Um, children will present to us with the diagnosis of Chiari malformation um, because it was picked up on a scan that was done because they had a concussion or because they had a seizure or because they had a bad migraine headache, um, all of which are not related at all to the Chiari malformation. Though the Chiari malformations can cause significant problems and and I categorize them into three broad categories um, for the families and, and for referring physicians. Um, the first is pain, uh, but the pain is distinctly uh, posterior at the occipital cervical junction and, and midline. So, you know, in the, the, you can think of it as, the, you know, the, the back of the head at the hairline, if that's where they hurt. Classically, that pain tends to be intensified by things that raise the pressure in the head, um, like coughing, valsalva maneuvers, exertion, things like that. Um, I think we pretty much are in agreement that a Chiari malformation doesn't cause frontal or bitemporal headaches. Now, okay. now, can the occipital posterior headache, you know, progress and worsen to a total global headache? Yes, the answer, to answer that question. But generally, we're looking for pain where, where it's the back bottom part of the head. Um, the other uh, symptom that can, can occur um, is it can create a disturbance in the spinal fluid circulation so that spinal fluid actually begins to cavitate and accumulate within the spinal cord. And the name for that is syringomyelia or a syrinx formation. And it's a really a slow-motion injury of the spinal cord, and that can lead to a host of problems. Um, scoliosis, again, is the textbook uh, presentation for a syrinx in a child with a Chiari malformation. Um, but it can also cause motor deficits, so the, the kids can come in weak. They can come in with uh, balance and gait uh, issues. Um, it's not going to cause um, incontinence um, or, uh, you know, bowel problems uh, until they're, you know, virtually paralyzed in a wheelchair. So it would not be a, so a kid that's not potty training is not going to be a way that a Chiari malformation or a syrinx okay. uh, would, uh, would present. And then finally, because of the tightness in the area um, where it should be the craniocervical junction that the spinal cord and brainstem surrounded by spinal fluid instead is impacted by brain tissue. Uh, And there may be in some folks, uh, as we touched on earlier, an associated uh, abnormality or anomaly of the actual bony craniocervical junction, whether it's the skull base or the upper cervical spine, there can be compression of the neural elements at that level. And that can create a whole host of different problems. It can be eye movement difficulties. It can be swallowing issues. Um, uh, to the point where children are aspirating. Um, I've seen teenagers come in with um, the onset of unexplained chronic vomiting and weight loss. Again, the, the vomiting center for the brain is right back there. So mm-hmm. there can be a wide range of symptoms that these, these kids present with. And so, okay, so as you said, right, there's everybody's getting MRIs today. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're finding the key RE malformation more and more because of that technology. So as a physician, you know, when do I worry? I mean, when, is, there, is there some guidelines that you can lay out for us that would tell me, yeah, you need to go be seen immediately. We can watch you. What mm-hmm. are some of those 
Yeah, well, I guess, you know, like I said, if they fall into the three broad categories of, of, of pain that we would blame on the Chiari malformation, um, that's a reason to seek neurosurgical consultation. And then it's, then it's a discussion of, well, how bad are you hurting? This is, you know, are you missing school? Are you, you know, uh, not enjoying life because of this? Or is this something that bugs you once a month and you take some ibuprofen and feel better? Um, but uh, so pain raises a red flag. Any uh, findings on examination, um, weakness, scoliosis, um, uh, gait instability um, that would suggest a syrinx um, would be a reason uh, to uh, seek consultation, and then, and again, we would then order further imaging of the spinal cord to to look for changes in the spinal cord lower down, um, and then also the more alarming sort of brainstem uh, findings of eye motion difficulties, swallowing difficulties. Asp- you know, again, in young children, it may be that they're aspirating, and then that could lead to asthma. Um, so, uh, so the so a child that um, is, ha- again, having feeding difficulties or right. eye motion difficulties, <laughs> swallowing difficulties are going are to be a red flag to, to have that uh, right. addressed and seen by a neurosurgeon. What, what, what's the follow-up for a patient um, who's having no symptoms? Mm-hmm. Then it's, uh, there's not much role for repeat imaging um, un- unless you're going to follow somebody that has a syrinx, has a, a cavitation within the spinal cord with, by the spinal fluid. Um, and so really it's going to be clinical follow-up. Uh, and commonly um, we'll just see folks back um, on an annual basis um, and obviously you see them back sooner if any concerns develop. Um, but it's unlikely that there's going to be some emergency or acute change. So so we're comfortable following those folks annually um, to the point where people kind of go, hey, no, nothing's happening. We'll call you if we right. need you. Uh, okay. And, again, we customize it. There's obviously different families that are a little more anxious than others, and some want to be you know, seen forever right. or seen more frequently, and so we just accommodate to that. Okay. All right. Well, Dr. Grab, this is fascinating information, uh-huh. and I'm going to thank you for the work that you're doing uh, at Children's Mercy, and thank you for coming on the show today. Sure, you're my listening pleasure. to transformation. Yeah, thank you. You're listening to Transformational Pediatrics of Children's Mercy, Kansas City. For more information, you go to childrensmercy.org. That's childrensmercy.org. I'm Dr. Mike Smith. Thanks for listening.